0: We are in John chapter 8 this morning and we're continuing, continuing to study through this gospel and we're, uh, if you haven't been with us or if you're, you've missed a week or two, we are uh, only about six months or so left before Christ will go to the cross and he is um, kind of ramping up his teaching and he is in this case in the temple area teaching, and constantly he is getting opposition from the Pharisees and the scribes. These religious people are just bringing opposition toward him, and, and in the midst of Jesus receiving great opposition, he continues just to give um, teaching that is um, amazing, teaching that is um, deep, and that is truth, and that is needed for the people then, and it's needed for us now. And so we're going to dive in to John 8, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 30. I'm going to read those for us. And so if you have found John 8, verse 12, let me know you're awake by saying word. Word. All right. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world, he that followeth me, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go, but you cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. You judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Then said they unto him, Where is thy Father? And Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my Father. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself because he said where I go you cannot come and he said unto them you are from beneath I am from above you are of this world I am not of this world I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins for if you believe not that I am he you shall die in your sins then said they unto him who art thou? Jesus said unto them, Even the same that I said unto you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am he, and that I do nothing of But as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things. These words many believed on him. I'm going to give you six truths from this passage that I hope will help us um, think deeply about uh, the Lord and, and who he is in our lives. So number one, Um, is this, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. I see that in verse 12, and I told you earlier, previously in this series, I told you there are seven I am statements of Jesus in this gospel. The first one was in chapter 6, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and now we find the second, which is again in verse 12, he spoke and said, I am the light of the world. Some scholars believe that Uh, Jesus is coming here uh, to the treasury area of the temple, and it's morning time. And some believe it's early and that he is teaching. And as he's teaching, the sun is rising. And so as the sun comes up to bring light into a dark world, right, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Others believe Jesus is referring to these lamps they had set up in the temple that would light the place up. Uh, And so as they would see the, the lamps there would bring light, Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world. And so there are different, uh, scholars say different things about this light, but as I read this uh, here in verse 12, my first thought was John chapter 1. Flip back to John 1 with me, if you have your Bible there. Flip to John 1 or look on with someone next to you. Find verses 7 through 9 of John chapter 1. It's talking here about, uh, it's talking about John the Baptist, and it says, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him Christ might believe he was not that light but was sent to bear witness of that light that was which is Christ the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world when jesus makes this statement in john 8:12 and he says i am the light of the world what he is really saying to them and to us is that he is the exclusive source of life and truth to the world. That if we are going to see truth and have life and life abundantly and life eternally, there is one light which we must gaze upon, and that light is Christ. I want to say that again because I don't know that our world believes like we do on this, right? Right? The world says there are multiple ways to God, multiple ways to heaven. The world says there are other men or gods or activities that can lead us to truth. And when Jesus says this, we, we believe clearly he is the light of the world. He is the way to God. He is the way to understanding. There, I would say, and, and I hope you would agree with me, I think you would agree with me that many people in this world are walking around spiritually blind. They're grasping for things. They're looking for for, um, happiness through success or relationships or money or possessions or comfort or whatever it might be, even health, looking for happiness in all these different things when we see that Jesus is the only one who can bring true light to a dark life. And I'm reminded again as I looked at verse 12 of Genesis 1. You know this, but let me read it to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And you finish this statement for me. You ready? And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And so to a dark world in the creation, God said, Let there be light, and he brought light. And thousands of years later, God said it again, let there be light. And this time it was the light of the world, his only son, Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus came, we know it was a dark time. As a matter of fact, God had not really spoken to his people and worked through his people in in several hundred years. And so there was this, period of church history, of Christian history. And then God sends the light. And yet, these people were, were darkened by their sins. As we've been reading, even last week, these people are trying to just trap Jesus, and they did not want to see him for who he truly was. How tragic. Hearts refuse to see the light. One of my favorite verses, you might want to jot this down to look at later, is 2 Corinthians 4 6. It says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. Number two, notice a a simple truth and a command, you must follow him. Again in verse 12 of chapter 8, I am the light of the world, he that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Really, the word follow here is really another way to say believe in Christ. We believe in Jesus. But, but I, I found this J.C. Rowell quote because that's what we do here. J.C. Ryle, about following Jesus. J.C. Ryle said, To follow Christ is to commit ourselves wholly and entirely to him. As our only leader and Savior, and submit ourselves to Him in every matter, both of doctrine and practice. Now, that's a pretty tough definition. I mean, as I read that, I thought, wow, following Jesus is not easy. To say, I'm going to submit myself to Him in every matter, both of doctrine and practice, is not an easy thing to say, and it's certainly not an easy thing to do. But I want, you to, I want to ask you this morning, even before I move further here, do you follow Jesus? Is he your Lord? Is he your master? Is he your Savior? We, you, know, we, you know, last week, we, some of us that were discussing are the Pledge of Allegiance, which we all do and we all support and we, we're thankful to live in the country we live in. But our number one allegiance, even above country, must be our Lord. He must be. And to follow him wholeheartedly is what he says here. He's the light. We must follow him. I thought also about, remember the children of Israel in the Old Testament and they're wandering in the wilderness and God sent them help. He sent the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And so they would follow around this, the light of God. They'd follow it around as he led them. Think about the disciples in the New Testament. They're out there just fishing, just doing their work. He comes by and says, follow me. And it wasn't an easy thing for them to drop their nets and say, I'm going to follow and see what happens. But they did. Following Jesus is not easy, but following Jesus is always worth it. It's not easy, but it's always worth it. So in the the next part of verse 12, he says, um, you shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And, And I'm thinking about the idea there of not walking in darkness. And I think he's saying this, if you follow me, you will not be spiritually ignorant like others. The unbelievers who don't really understand God, don't really understand the truth of Christ, and don't don't really see the light, if you follow Him, you will see the light. You'll see the truth. You'll be able to experience the peace and the joy and the love that God has for His. Another thing I, I think about that darkness in verse 12 is that we as Christians are not uncertain about our heavenly home. No matter what we go through, we know in Christ our eternity is set if we are in Christ. And then the third thing about the darkness is we're given understanding through his word. Um, that the word of God is the place we go. If we're going to follow him, we must follow him through his word. That's the way he has prescribed. Listen, it's not enough to just walk to the front of a church and profess, profess Christ. It's not enough just to be baptized. It's not enough just to take the Lord's Supper. It's not enough just to say, I'm a member of so-and-so church every one of us, we are called to follow Jesus in faith, love, and obedience. We're called to follow him. I hope you can say this morning that you are a devoted follower of Christ. Number three, and I find number three in verses 13 through 19, and it is this, Jesus is the way to God. So if you're looking at verse 13, basically there, These Pharisees, these religious guys, look at Jesus and they say, your testimony is not true. Your witness is not true. In other words, we don't believe what you're saying. We don't believe you are who you say you are. Jesus goes on and gives, I think, at least three reasons here why what he's saying is true. The first one is in verse 14. He's speaking on firsthand knowledge of heaven. He says, I know from whence I came and where I'm going and you cannot tell whether I come or whether I go. Jesus is saying here, I come from, from heaven. Have you ever gone somewhere on a trip and then you come back home and try to tell people how great it was and you can't really explain it? And you say this, you say, you just had to be there. You just had to be there to experience what it was like. Can you imagine Jesus who left the glory of heaven, came to earth, and he's trying to explain earthly, heavenly things to earthly people. And they're hard headed. They just can't get it. What Jesus is saying is, I've been there, and now I'm here, and I'm giving you the truth of who I am from a heavenly perspective. In verse 15, a second thing he says about this is, is that Jesus judges according to, again, a heavenly perspective. The Pharisees judge with an earthly mindset. They, they were very critical of people, and they didn't judge according to right judgment as we studied previously, but Jesus is always right. In his judgment. Verse 15 does not mean that Jesus does not judge, by the way. It just means he does not judge the way they judge. He judges properly, he judges correctly. And then in 16 through 18, um, the third thing about this point is that Jesus had corroboration from a great source. I heard this story a while back, and I don't know if this is true, but I'm reminded of it here. There was this kid in the neighborhood, a neighborhood who was uh, just out playing in the neighborhood, and some other kids came up, and the, the local bully started pushing him around, and they got in a fight, and the bully beat this kid up, beat him up pretty bad. And so they both, later on they left, they go back home, and so the kid that got beat up told his dad, and he got, you know, he's got messed up face, he got, he got punched in the face, he's bloody and his dad's like, you know what, I'm going to walk down to their house and we're going we're gonna to set this straight. And so the dad and the son walk down the street to the bully's house. He knocks on the door. The dad of the bully comes out and he begins to talk to him about it. And then the bully's dad beats him up. And so they're back at home and the story is told, if this is true, I don't know, that they, when when the mom showed up, they're like, Mom, you got to go down there and take care of business. <laughs> you got to go with the mom. And she was like, no. But... How many of us have ever said or ever felt in your life, like, if I just have my dad here, right? Or my dad can beat up your dad. Remember that? We used to say that as a kid. I used to say that a lot as a kid because I couldn't beat up anybody, but my dad could. So I used to say that a lot. Look, what's the point of that? The point of that kid, that kid thought he was going to bring his dad. He thought he had stronger power, a higher authority behind him. Didn't work out that way. But the reason we say my dad can beat up your dad is there's power, authority behind it. And in a more serious way, Jesus says here in verses 16 through 18, He says, I am who I say I am, and here's my proof. My Father in heaven corroborates my testimony. He sent me, and that is a stamp of approval that I am the Son of God. We get this. I think we understand this, but the people listening to Jesus talk in that temple did not get it. They did not, most of them did not understand what He's saying. In verse 19, he says, they say, well, where is thy father? They're still thinking earthly here. They're looking for his father. Where's Joseph? You know, he says, you, you neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. Again, in verse 19, we see the, uh, the fact that Christ is the exclusive way to God. He is the only way. And the enemies of Christ are ignorant of this truth. I'm reminded that many people in our day claim to know God, but they don't get their understanding from the Bible. And if you don't get your understanding about God from the Bible, your understanding will be wrong. It will go askew. It will go amiss because this is where we learn of him. The God of the Bible is the one true God, and everything we need to know about him is found here. That's why there's so many religions, so many cults, because people begin to take everything else as truth instead of the Holy Word. And look, let's be honest, there's some things in the Word we may not always like, or we may not always want to do, or we find it hard to believe, but if God's Word says it, as believers, as His children, we should follow it, right, as we understand what it says. In His Scripture, we we find out about His holiness, His justice, His righteousness, His mercy, And his grace. And even still, even still in verse 19, Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. As I kind of think about again that verse, I wonder what would it be like, what would it be like to approach God without Christ? Think about that. Imagine God, which we can't really even imagine, by the way, in full glory. And imagine a sinful man or woman trying to approach the presence of God. We would be just as well trying to approach the sun in the sky. Because as sinful beings, we approach the holy God, we would probably fall dead like that, right? But we are able to approach God through Christ. We have an advocate, an intercessor, one who went before us and who goes before us, who leads us to Christ. So we are thankful. What a friend we have in Jesus that we may truly know God. John 6, No man can come to the Father but by Him which is Christ. Our fourth point is in verses 20 through 24. And I find here a warning, and the warning is this, do not seek Christ in vain. Quickly there in verse 20, it tells us where he's teaching. It tells us they haven't arrested him because his time has not yet come. We've we've discussed that for several weeks. It's not yet his time to go to the cross. That's several months away. And in 21 to 23, he talks about going somewhere and, I think this is referring to the cross and eventually the ascension into heaven and and knowing these people will seek him and and won't be able to find him. And so again, they just don't understand. Verse 22, is he going to kill himself? They just don't understand what he's saying. Maybe some of them won't understand, but they just can't understand it. I'm reminded here of And I don't know if this might apply to anybody in this place today, but I think it might. There are people, there are people who have religious feelings every once in a while. A couple of times a year, three or four times a year. Or maybe just when something bad happens, and they think about God. But the rest of the year, the rest of the time, they're not thinking about God. That's not a Christian. Now, as a Christian, when things go bad, we certainly run to our Father, don't we? We run to the Lord. But as Christians, we want to run to Him when things are good and at all times. Do you guys remember after 9-11? Some of you are old enough, most of us are old enough to remember that. Did you go to church the next Sunday? I mean, everybody did. Churches were packed for a little while. And then it kind of started dwindling back down. After a disaster or under some kind of intense pressure, some people have religious feelings. But listen to me, religious feelings that fade mean all you have is religion and you don't have Christ. Saving faith does not fade. Religious feelings can fade. Now, we certainly all have ups and downs, or we, we're closer to God, and we feel better about our faith. But I'm reminded again of this. Uh, I've told you all the story. I was helping this young lady after a church service. She's like, I want to be saved. And I said, that's amazing. Let, let's, let's pray together. And she said, I'm going to pray and ask Jesus to save me. I said, that's great. I told her the scriptures, and we talked about it. And she began to pray to ask Jesus to save her soul. And she prayed that Jesus would save her. And the next sentence she prayed was, also, Jesus... Would you help so-and-so become my boyfriend? And I was like, yikes. I was like, hold on, stop. So I, just stopped, I stopped the prayer. I was like, what? <laughs> what? Because it told me in that moment she was not thinking about Christ in the way she should have been thinking about Christ. She was, in my opinion, seeking Christ in vain from some false motives. And people do that I'm convinced there are people who might live an entire life and think it's a Christian life when they've really been seeking him with false motives and not their whole heart. I read this week, someone said that they've, uh, testimonies of preachers who are sitting at a deathbed experience where the person laying on their deathbed is like wanting to be saved but finding it this impossible. It's like they don't even know how to pray to God, don't even know how to ask God to save them. It's this life lived of seeking him in vain. And then when the time comes where he might be found, not being able to find him. That's kind of scary, right? The Bible says, seek him while he may be found. And if anyone is here today and you don't know the light of the world, Jesus Christ, the way to God, seek him while he may be found and for you that might be right now that you seek him with your heart number five we have six points this is number five if you do not believe in christ you will die in your sins look at verse 24 and this again is just i took this straight from the scripture i said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins and If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Romans says, for the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I want to think about this for a moment that, and just to be real and open and honest, and let's just talk about it as a a church family for a moment. Do we think in the back of our minds sometimes that everyone's just going to be okay when they die? I think we might think that sometimes. Like, they'll be okay. But that's not biblical, is it? Because if someone dies in their sins, not having their sins forgiven by Christ, we know the Bible talks about what their destiny holds. And it's unfathomable to think of the suffering of an eternal hell for sinners, isn't it? Most of us in this room will not live to be 100 years old. I pray many of us do. I don't know. But can you imagine being in eternal torment in hell for 100 years and at your 100th year you realize it's not a drop in the bucket. Watch this. a 1,000 years, not a drop in the bucket. A million years, not a drop in the bucket. And if we believe the Scripture, then we have to understand that is true. That there is an eternal suffering for those who die in their sins. In his famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, almost every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he shall escape it. He depends upon himself for his own security. He flatters himself in what he has done, in what he is doing now, or what he intends to do. What I'm telling us this morning is that the only way to escape that eternal punishment and suffering is through Christ. He's the only way. The only way. If you do not believe in him, you will die in your sins. And listen, not only do you escape that eternal torment, but by trusting in Christ, we get the exact opposite, don't we? Eternal glory. A hundred years in heaven, will just be getting started. A thousand years in glory, will just be getting started. A million years, it's eternal. Come to Christ, not only to avoid the suffering, but come to Christ for the treasure that Christ is. Notice finally, number six. that many believed in him. I see this in verses 25 through 30. He continues to teach them and saying that the one who sent him is true. 26, verse 27, they don't understand. He's talking about the Father. He talks here about the cross when he's lifted up. And then verse 30 says, as he spoke these words, many believed. I get so relieved to get to verses like this Because in our study, it's like so many people are opposing Christ or walking away from Him, and they're not listening. I'm like, why don't you listen? And so I love getting to verses like this that say, many believed on Him. Let me ask you this. Why did these people believe in Jesus? Why did they believe? Is it because He just taught them so much and did miracles and just wore them down with the amount of teaching? Did did they begin to believe because they were people of strong faith? Did they begin to believe because they thought it was a good idea to believe? Can I say that they began to believe because God revealed the truth to them? And can I say this morning that we are completely dependent upon the sovereign grace of the Lord to save our souls? We will walk in darkness... Until God shines the gospel in our hearts. And that's why we pray for our family members and friends who don't know Christ. Lord, shine the light of your truth into their hearts. Show them the truth. So that they will not walk in darkness and that they will not die in their sins. People aren't just waking up and going, Oh, today will be a good day to be a follower of Jesus. People aren't doing that. We are the enemies of God, children of wrath. Our sin blinds us until He makes us see. How are people beginning to see the truth? How can our friends and family members who don't know Christ see the truth? By the light of the world. Let me give you a, another rile quote that I've used, uh, I think, a couple months ago, but I love this quote. It says, Christ is to the souls of men what the Son is to the world. He is the center and source of all spiritual light, warmth, life, health, growth, beauty, and fertility. Like the sun, He shines for the common benefit of all mankind, for high and for low, for rich and for poor, for Jew and for Greek. Like the sun, He is free to all. All may look at Him and drink health out of His light. If millions of mankind were mad enough to dwell in caves underground or to bandage their eyes, their darkness would be their own fault and not the fault of the sun. So likewise, if millions of men and women love spiritual darkness rather than light, the blame must be laid on their blind hearts and not on Christ. Their foolish hearts are darkened. But whether men will see or not, Christ is the true Son and the light of the world. There is no light for sinners except in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I commend our Savior to everyone this morning that we go to Him in prayer, that we go to Him in worship, and that if you don't know Him, you flee to Him for salvation. Let's bow.